Well, good morning, church. Happy Easter Sunday, and welcome to all those who are watching, not only members of Columbia Christian Church, but all the rest of you who are watching as well. Thank you so much for joining us this Easter, and happy Easter to you and to your family. Uh, Perhaps now more than ever, uh, we feel the weight of not being able to meet together as this Easter Sunday, which we, we never thought would have been happening like this. We are not able to gather together. Who would have thought that we would spend an Easter Sunday at home apart from one another? And yet this is what the Lord has for us. And so we graciously submit uh, to his will and to his providence and to what he has allowed. And we ache, we yearn to meet together. Uh, I, I told someone before this, I miss the gathering today perhaps more than any of these Sundays that we have had thus far. I've heard it said uh, among many ministers and preachers already this week that this season of life that we find ourselves in feels like Holy Saturday. It feels like an extended Holy Saturday, that Saturday in between the time where Jesus died and Jesus rose, where the disciples were in the dark, where, where they didn't know where hope would be coming from or if hope would even come. And this time feels like that a bit. Uh, And yet we trust the Lord that hope is coming, that deliverance is coming, that an end to this will happen soon. And we continue to pray to him and to ask him for his blessing in that way. I'd like to share with you uh, one verse from Psalm 57 this morning. This has kind of become a life verse for me during this season. And I I would encourage you uh, to make yourselves familiar with this verse during this time where we cannot be with one another. And during this time of sickness and uncertainty. It's Psalm 57, verse 1, and it reads as follows, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Till the storms of destruction pass by. This morning, for our prayer time, Uh, I'm going to be reading another prayer. We did this last week. Uh, We don't often read prayers and make them our own in Protestant churches, uh, but it can be very helpful because there are people out there who can word things in ways that uh, we cannot. And so I'm going to read another prayer for you, uh, and I'd encourage you as I read through this, contemplate it in your minds, make it your own prayer in your heart. Uh, It's by a man named John Piper. Uh, who's a pastor and author. Uh, Before I read it, I would encourage you this week uh, to pray for our community, but also especially to pray for our nursing home. Uh, As of right now, as far as I know, we have 37 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in our nursing home and seven employees who have contracted the disease as well. Uh, And so we need to pray heavily and fervently for uh, our folks in the nursing home, for their families, uh, for their protection, And so I ask that you would pray for that this week. Pray for that every single day, if you would. Uh, You might even need to set yourself a reminder to do so. Uh, But we would encourage you to pray uh, for those and for our entire community as well. And now I'd like to read this prayer to you. And as I read it, I am praying it and would encourage you to make it your own prayer from your own heart. Father, at our best moments, by your grace, we are not sleeping in Gethsemane, we are awake and listening to your son's prayer. He knows deep down that he must suffer, but in his perfect humanity, he cries out, 
If it is possible, let this cup pass. In the same way, we sense deep down that this pandemic is appointed in your wisdom for good and necessary purposes. We too must suffer. Your son was innocent. We are not. Yet with him in our less than perfect humanity, we too cry out, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Do quickly, O Lord, the painful, just, and merciful work you have resolved to do. Do not linger in judgment. Do not delay your compassion. Remember the poor, O Lord, according to your mercy. Do not forget the cry of the afflicted. Grant recovery. Grant a cure. Deliver us, your poor, helpless creatures, from these sorrows, we pray. But do not waste our misery and grief, O Lord. Purify your people from powerless preoccupation with barren materialism and Christless entertainment. Put our mouths out of taste with the bait of Satan. Cut from us the roots and remnant of pride and hate and unjust ways. Grant us capacities of outrage at our own belittling of your glory. Open the eyes of our hearts to see and savor the beauty of Christ. Incline our hearts to your word, your son, and your way. Fill us with compassionate courage and make a name for yourself in the way your people serve. Stretch forth your hand in great awakening for the sake of this perishing world. Let the terrible words of Revelation not be spoken over this generation, yet they still did not repent. Revelation 16, 8 through 10. As you have stricken bodies, strike now the slumbering souls. Forbid that they would remain asleep in the darkness of pride and unbelief. In your great mercy, say to these bones, live, Ezekiel 37, and bring the hearts and lives of millions into alignment with the infinite worth of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Now for our time in the Word, I'll ask you to take out your Bibles if you have them at your home and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, which is where we'll be today. Acts chapter 2, we're going to take a break from going through the wonderful book of Numbers on this Easter Sunday to contemplate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Acts chapter 2, starting in just a moment in verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Now perhaps today, more than ever, we realize what Easter is all about. It's about much more than eggs or candy or family dinners or fancy clothes. And now that God, in His grace and mercy, has stripped all of those things away, at least for one Easter, what are we left with? What is Easter all about? Well, Easter is about hope. It's about hope. You see, on Saturday, that Saturday, Holy Saturday, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus' followers were in the dark. They were scared. They were dejected. They had thought that Jesus had come to save the world and to set up a new kingdom. And now it seemed like all was lost. It seemed as though the Roman government and the Jewish leaders had won. When he was alive, they had felt alive in a way they had never felt before. And now he was dead and gone. When they were with him, he had seemed like no one they had ever met before, no one they had ever experienced before. Was it all for nothing? That's Saturday. But then Sunday 
came. Sunday came. The sun rose early in the morning. The earth shook and Jesus walked out of the tomb. And bit by bit, he appeared to his followers, to those who had hoped in him. And they started to realize this is more than we could have ever dreamed of. Those followers who before had been without hope and scared started to realize this is more than we could have ever dreamed. Not only was he different, he's God. He's God and he came back from the dead. The disciples who before Jesus died were running scared and hiding and ashamed to admit they even knew him all of a sudden became the boldest preachers the world has ever known. You see, the first Easter changed everything. Easter, you see, is all about hope. Today we're looking at what is essentially the very first sermon in the Christian church. The very first sermon in the history of the Christian church. This is the sermon that you could say kick-started the church. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to see that the resurrection was central to the very first sermon of the Christian church. The resurrection was central to it. And we're going to see that the resurrection was central to the evangelism in the first century of the disciples and those who followed Jesus. The resurrection was central to them, and it must be essential to us as well. The resurrection, you see, is why Easter gives us hope today. And so let's read our passage. If you will, follow along with me in your own copy of God's Word. I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, down to verse 36. There we read, and again this is Peter preaching. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades or did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Now the first thing I want you to see from our text this morning is this. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus. It was impossible for death to hold him. Look at verse 24 with me one more time. Verse 24, it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was impossible for death to hold him. Do you remember Samson in the Old Testament? The book of Judges. Samson, the the guy that God made the strongest man on the face of the earth at that point in time. Well, he starts an illicit relationship with the Philistine woman Delilah. And Delilah tries to get him to tell her the secret to his strength so that she can betray him to the Philistines. And that, that first time, he lies to her and he tells her, well, if you bind me with new ropes that have never been used, well, then I'll just become as weak as any man. And Delilah does so. And you get the sense that she has bound him in a way that it would hold any regular man. And yet, when Samson wakes up, he rips through those ropes like they're flax, like they're thread. Right? It's as nothing to him. It cannot bind him. And that is like trying to bind Jesus with death. Trying to bind Jesus with death is like a spider's web trying to stop a falling boulder. Right? It's not going to happen. It's impossible. You see, no human being has ever overcome the power of death. Save one. Death is what we like to call the ultimate statistic, right? One out of every one person dies. We're all going to die at some point. But there was one who overcame the power of death because death could not hold him. Now let's ask this question, why? Why was it impossible for death to hold Jesus? Well, two reasons I'd like to submit to you this morning. Number one, God is his father. Death cannot hold Jesus because God is his father. Look at verse 24 with me one more time. It says, God raised him up. And then in verse 32, the same thing. God raised Jesus up. Now think about this. God has the power over everything. God has power over everything. He can do whatever he wants. This is the same God that created everything that exists out of nothing by just a word. By just a word. And God, God is the one who subjected all of us to death after the fall. Did you know that? God is the one who subjected all of us to death after the fall, after the sin of Adam and Eve. Death is an enemy, yes. Death is not how things are supposed to be, but even death is a tool in the hands of an almighty God. And he can do whatever he wants with it, including undo it. Now, what does this mean for you today? Well, death could not hold Jesus because God is his father. Well, if God is your father, then death will not be able to hold you either. If God is your father, death will not be able to hold you either. Now, yes, we all will die at some point if Jesus does not return during our lifetimes. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it is appointed for every man to die, right? But death is not the end. Jesus' resurrection is actually a preview of coming attractions. The resurrection of Jesus is a preview of coming attractions. When Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise. And we will do it just like he did. 
We will rise to newness of life. Our bodies, Philippians chapter 3 tells us, will be transformed to be like his glorious body, never to die again. If God is your father, that will happen to you. Death will not be able to hold you in the end. Paul says that Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn from among the dead. What he means is, by Jesus' resurrection, Jesus was the first to come back to life to never die again. He's the firstborn from among the dead. But firstborn, the first. It's a preview of what's going to happen. That's Colossians 1 where he says that. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so Jesus' resurrection is a preview of coming attractions. If God is your father, death will not hold you either. Now, how does God become your father? He's not everyone's father. He's the father of his children. He's the father of Christians. How does God become your father? Well, that happens when you put your trust in Jesus and repent of your sins. More on that here in just a moment. Now, second reason. Why was death unable to hold Jesus? Well, because Jesus has life in himself. Jesus has life in himself. And in this respect, he is different for us. There are many ways where Jesus is like us. He experienced the full force of our humanity, right? He experienced our weaknesses. But he is different in us in this respect, that he has life in himself. We, on the other hand, derive our life from God, right? We get our life from outside of us. With our life, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But not so with Jesus, With Jesus, he has life in himself. He is God in the flesh. And so it's like life radiates from him. And he has an endless store of it. And everyone else receives their life from his. And he gives it, he gives it eternally to all who come to him in faith. Listen to the words of Jesus from John chapter 5, starting in verse 24. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Here in just a few moments, you're going to witness the actual moment in time where someone crosses over from death to life in a baptism that we're going to do live here after the sermon. The moment that someone crosses over from death to life. But Jesus continues in John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Don't miss what John 5, 25 says right there. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The hour is coming, yes. There is a time where Jesus will return. And everyone who hears him will rise and live to eternal life. But he says the hour is coming and is now here. You see, there's an hour here right now today. And has been ever since Jesus rose from the grave. Where those who hear his voice in their hearts, in their spirits. Those who hear Jesus' voice can have life. Can be resurrected now in salvation where those who hear the voice of Christ can live. Have you heard it this morning? Have you heard the voice of Jesus in your heart say, let there be light? If you haven't, I plead with you, talk to someone about your salvation. 
Give us a comment on Facebook. Give us a message on Facebook. Call the church office. Right? Send me an email. Right? Talk to someone about your salvation if you have not heard the resurrecting voice of Jesus in your heart yet. But he continues, John chapter 5, starting in verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus could not be held by death because he has life in himself. And this life is constantly given out to those who come to him. Every day all over the world, Jesus' life is giving life to those who are dead in their sins. People who are lifeless are coming to Jesus and finding that he has so much life in himself, they are being made alive. And then he has more to give and go out and raise other people spiritually from the dead. You see, our salvation in the New Testament is spoken of as a resurrection from the dead. That's salvation in the New Testament. Indeed, Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3, says this. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, stay with me here, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Amen, brothers and sisters. Death could not hold him. Because God is his father and he has life in himself. But the second thing I want you to see this morning and to remember is the main message of the first century apostles and disciples, as they went out evangelizing, as they went out sharing the gospel, their main message was, Jesus came back from the dead. The resurrection was the main message of first century evangelism. All right? Look at verse 32 with me in Acts chapter 2 once, one more time. Verse 32, Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. See, Peter and the other apostles went out preaching and telling everyone they could, Jesus has come back from the dead. We know because we saw him. We were witnesses over it. Yes, Jesus died for everyone's sins. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's part of the gospel. But the first century, when people would go out and tell other people about Jesus, what set Jesus apart from every other leader, every other teacher, every other man, what set him apart was that he came back to life, was that he's alive. This is what set him apart. And this was what was central to the good news message that the disciples were taking in that first century to the world. The focus was on the resurrection when people shared the gospel. And so imagine what this would have sounded like. Imagine you were living in Jerusalem in the first century. 
in the time of Jesus, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know that Jewish rabbi that they crucified the other day? You know that guy? Uh, Apparently, he's alive. He came back from the dead. I mean, if somebody said that to us, we would be saying, I'm sorry, what? Are you serious? Now, I admit, at first, I would probably be struggling to believe that. But let me tell you this. I would also be thinking, if that's true, this changes everything. If this is true, then this is someone worth following. Right? I've used this illustration before. You might have heard me. But in the first Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law as Watson, you know, in that movie, Mark Strong plays uh, the villain called Lord Blackwood. Okay? And Lord Blackwood is this you know, evil sorcerer type of man. He's, he's trying to take over the world, essentially. He's trying to start a revolution. But what he does, his, his plan, is to fake his death in such a way that everyone genuinely believes he died, and then to convince everyone he's come back from the grave so that people will then follow him. Right? Because if someone has genuinely come back from the dead, well, this person has a power that no one else has. Right? What they say matters, right? Well, the same is true of Jesus. The idea is this. If this guy died, and we have confirmation that he was dead, and now he's back, now he's alive, everything he said matters significantly, eternally. This is someone worth following, right? He, he must have a power that no one else has. You see, the gospel is not just that Jesus died for our sins. It's that he defeated death. He defeated death, and we don't have to fear death anymore. Don't leave the resurrection out of the good news, brothers and sisters. Don't leave the resurrection out of the good news. It's the culmination of it all. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Without the resurrection, we are to be pitied more than any group of people on the face of this earth. We cannot say, well, if all this ends up not being true... Well, then I I, I had a good life anyway. No, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if the resurrection is not true, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. Why? Because we've, we've taken up our cross every day to follow him. We've given up our own lordship of our own lives to follow him. We are trying to kill off our sin every day by the power of the Spirit. Right? We are voluntarily suffering for him in this life. If if the resurrection isn't true, Everything is lost. Everything is for nothing, right? We, we did not end up having a great life. We are to be pitied more than anyone. But brothers and sisters, if it is true, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. And it's the culmination of the gospel itself. Look back at verse 29 with me. Let me show you something from our text. Verse 29. There Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. You know what Peter's saying there? He's saying David, one of the greatest figures in the history of the world, the greatest king that Israel has ever seen, he's dead. He's still dead. Right? And so the implication being here is every influential leader of the past, they're still dead. Right? Moses, still dead. Muhammad, still dead. Joseph Smith, still dead. Gandhi, still dead. Joseph Stalin, still dead. But our leader, our Lord, our Savior, our teacher, he came back to life 
never to die again. He is alive right now, brothers and sisters. And because of that, you can stake your eternity on what he said. He's alive right now. He is in heaven, Paul tells us, at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for God's children. Interceding for his brothers and sisters, Jesus' brothers and sisters. And he is coming back one day to claim his own. And so if this is true, if this is true, that this man resurrected from the dead, that he is alive right now, then you have a choice to make. Look back at verse 36 with me in our text. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him both Lord and Christ. The resurrection was God's ultimate vindication of who Jesus was and everything he said. This is God showing the world Jesus is indeed Lord of all, including the Lord of death. Jesus is the only Savior and the only way to have life. God, through the resurrection, has exalted Jesus above every human being that has ever lived. And God has appointed Jesus as the only way to get to him. Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. The only way to eternal life. The only way to receive forgiveness. I want you to notice something after Peter's sermon. Look at verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, when the crowd heard what Peter said, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel that this morning? After hearing this, do you feel like, what do I do about this? What should I do about my, my salvation and my heart and my status before God and my eternity? Well, this is what God is asking you to do if you want to be forgiven. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of your heart. If you want to have this eternal life today, you can have it. 